Welcome back to Humans of Medicine, a podcast where we interview and learn about different types of people in medicine and research. Today, we've got an international episode featuring Andrew, an American-Korean living in New York. After graduating from John Hopkins, majoring in neuroscience and public health, he's currently a first year studying a dual MD and master's of public health at Mount Sinai. Having explored clinical research and public health neurology, he's currently interested in the pathway of the clinician public health researcher. We talked about how he came into his niche of neurology and public health, the journey of moving from Chicago to New York, and his experiences at John Hopkins, World Neurology Foundation, and World Relief. Hope you enjoy. Thank you so much, Andrew, for hopping on the podcast. Really keen to have a chat with you today. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thanks, thanks for inviting me. Oh, yeah. So I'd like to start off kind of learning a bit about uh, your medical journey so far. So my first classic interview question, I know it's been said to death, but what would you say brought you to medicine? Yeah, so that's uh, that's the classic interview question, right, for med school. Um, mm-hmm. And I think everybody <laughs> obviously has different answers. But, um, you know, I, I grew up in a non-medical family. Um, we have like one or two doctors, but long distance cousins, really. So um, I was really surrounded by like business, um, like my aunts and uncles, my dad, too, or were in business, um, some in education and etc. Um, so I never really got a taste of what really medicine is like um, from an early, early childhood perspective. Um, but, you know, for, for me personally, I really got introduced to, first of all, what a neurologist is also like, um, and just a physician in general. Um, I would say like my sophomore or junior year of high school when my grandmother had a hemorrhagic stroke. So I traveled to Korea and she, you know, was watching her kind of recover and, you know, um, saying my last goodbyes. Um, mm-hmm. And so that experience, I, I think, opened a lot of doors for me in certain ways. Definitely didn't um, solidify my commitment to medicine quite yet because I was still you know, young. I had different aspirations as well. Um, yeah. I actually wanted to go into business similar to my dad, um, you know, was exploring that, you know, through different clubs and through just, you know, reading books and things like that and probably wanted to pursue that in college in some way or some way or another. But that definitely was a very pivotal moment for me because I not only got to see my grandmother who experienced a stroke, um, you know, and saw like how, you know, neurologists and physicians would treat um, treaters. Mm-hmm. I also saw like the different, you know, the different healthcare systems between um, the United States and Korea. So mm-hmm. that actually introduced me to, um, you know, the public health side of things, right? You know, different countries, different cultures really have different kind of ways of pursuing and approaching healthcare. Um, and I think I think that was very fascinating and kind of also sparked a little bit of like a why. Why is it so different between countries and, you know, different people? Because in my mind, I, I thought, you know, everybody, you know, I think is a fundamental human right that people should have, you know, good access and quality access to um, healthcare, Right. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's not necessarily the case for, you know, every part of the world, especially in the States, too. There's a lot of um, broken pieces, I think, in the healthcare system and mm-hmm. not only in states but in other countries as well like korea but Mm. i I definitely think that that moment with my grandmother early on in my high school uh career Mm. was the pivoting moment for me to kind of explore uh medicine and science um throughout college Mm. so i actually studied neuroscience and public health studies in college um Mm. because of those reasons and i think uh, you know from there it was just kind of like a domino effect right so i learned more about the brain i learned more about public health and how um, public health practitioners kind of approach, um, you know, addressing different disorders on a community scale. And I thought that was super cool, right? So, and then 
you know, I always kind of thought they were a bit different, you know, neurology, neuroscience and public health, because, you know, you see a lot of like public health interventions and public health uh, figures, you know, working on like infectious diseases. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, COVID was a good example of that. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, exactly. And so traditionally, you know, neurological disorders, which are often chronic, um, don't really get the spotlight in the public health field or mm -hmm. the sector. So I really didn't have you know, mentors, people I could kind of look upon, uh, look up upon um, early mm -hmm. on in my college career to kind of see like, because I wanted to intersect the two um, in some way or That's another, right. but there was really nobody that I knew or like a mentor or like, you know, someone famous that I could kind of look up to until really in um, senior year of high, senior year of college, um, mm -hmm. my mentor, Deanna Saylor, who is really at the forefront of um, global neurology, which is like the recent term called for, you know, the global mm -hmm. health and neurological yeah. conditions disorders. Mm -hmm. um she has she's a johns hopkins faculty and so she i reached out to her and you know ever since i've been working with her and um mm -hmm. like i said i think from there it's been a domino effect in terms of how i got into medicine and ultimately public mm -hmm. health as well mm -hmm. damn thank you for sharing your story and you know that classic uh, i guess family experience which triggers this you know this is such an emotional experience for a lot of us and i think um it's such a strong kind of like push or like pull factor towards the field of medicine and it's very cool to hear kind of how you have been intersecting these interests of public health and neurology together into, you know, some of the experiences, which I'm sure we're keen to dig into today. Yeah. And like on that as well, I guess, I'm curious, you know, now that following that journey through, how have you found your first year of med school so far? Yeah, first year of med school has been, you know, comprised of a mix of a mix of emotions, for sure. Um, <laughs> and I think that goes for everybody in my class and everybody who is a first year of medical student, right? Because I'd imagine going yeah. from either straight from college, um, going into like a professional graduate school, which can be daunting, right? Especially if you're like one on the, you know, the, the younger side of your class. Um, but there are other people who have taken, you know, numerous gap years doing other like amazing stuff, right? I know I have a classmate who's in finance, who was in finance was in venture capital, you know, tech, you know, nursing, law, you know, you name it, right? So mm. um, I'm not the only one I would say that could say that, right, in terms of like the mix of emotions that you had during first year of medical school. But mm. I think adjusting to a new life in New York City at Mount Sinai has been, you know, I, I think a very good life decision for me in the end, because mm. you know, I grew up in a very suburban city in Chicago and, you know, very, very much comfortable kind of growing up. Right. And so, mm. you know, but I always had this um, mm. and wanted to explore what's more out there. Um, and I think really, you know, classically, New York City is like the best, best place to kind of do that. Right. Um, yeah. There's just so yeah. many people of different fields, different interests. Um, there's mm. people in the arts, people in music, business, mm. finance mm. and medicine. Right. Mm. Um, and I think meeting all these different people um, mm -hmm. uh, has been really just kind of the the biggest thing that I took away from my first year so far. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, all the things that I've learned in medical school thus far in my first year has, you know, been, you know, challenging, but also very rewarding. But there's, you know, and we'll talk about this probably much later in the podcast mm -hmm. as well, but there's so many mm -hmm. things outside of medicine that I think will sure. make your medical school career and ultimately your longer term career as a physician more rewarding, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, no, I would say first year has been great in many different ways, but I've definitely also had, you know, numerous challenges uh, emotionally, academically, you know, there's just some things that, you know, are beyond my capabilities right now. But I think mm. that's just part of the process of becoming a physician, right? You go sure. come 
um, through those adversities and become a better person and ultimately a better position. So I'm um, mm. very fortunate to be here right now. We'll all look back at those four years of med school and think, oh, all those silly yeah. worries when we're in first year, <laughs> et cetera. Exactly. Um, I, I was curious as well, you know, that classic story from going small town to, you know, big city, right? Or smaller town, I should say. Um, yeah. How, what would you say has been the most kind of like surprising or interesting experience you've had so far on, you know, the Big Apple? In the Big Apple, yeah. I, I would say just how ambitious people are and mm. uh, kind of like or dreamers here i would say like new york city and probably other like metropolitan cities out there but um it's really just amazing how pe how extensive people have in terms of um in terms of their aspirations and dreams and mm -hmm. i think that has been you know a positive influence on me thus far but also it was very daunting right because there mm -hmm. are people of my age right now like i'm 23 um turning 24 very soon but mm -hmm. people in their in their early 20s mid 20s that are doing just amazing things and it's like you know i, I think a lot of my first year class first year med school classmates feel the same way too but we're so mm -hmm. far away from becoming a practicing physician and um yeah. kind of really jump starting our actual career right as you know treating patients and doing whatnot but uh, yeah, just amazing to see, but also very daunting to see that uh, mm -hmm. there's just so many people doing just, um, you know, inspirational, but crazy things, in my opinion, um, at this age, because I feel like I don't have everything solidified, but they seem like they have everything together. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I'm sure, you know, I, the way I perceive them is that way, but I'm sure they yeah. have their own kind of challenges and kind of um, yeah. shortcomings here and there too. But yeah, definitely a big change from like uh, living the suburb, living in a suburban city in Chicago, mm. and versus mm. the Big Apple, because you know in the suburb suburbs, really in Chicago, it's uh, everybody kind of knows each other. Um, it's very mm. comfortable. Um, mm. As long as you succeed in your academics or whatnot, um, you're pretty much in a good place, right? Yeah. Um, but not so much here in the Big Apple, I would say, because everybody is doing great things. So it's kind of mm. like, um, you know, you. you you know, you automatically kind of naturally um, develop upon your values and your skills because you're surrounded yeah. by so many exceptional people. And I think, um, you know, that could be emotionally cha challenging for certain people. And I think it was for me too, initially, just getting used to what New York has to offer. But for sure. um, I think if you're able to stick through with it, um, I think it'll help you kind of come out at the end um, as a more improved person, um, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. professionally and personally, I think too. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a, it's interesting kind of how much things change and um, that classic feeling of both being energized by these people, but also having a strong sense of imposter syndrome. Like how are we the same yeah. age yet in oh, such yeah. kind of like different career journeys? And it, it definitely comes to also coming to terms with your own unique pathway. And I think that's something yeah. which I'm very keen to talk to you today about like, you know, neurology and global health. Not many mm -hmm. people I know I have that perfect, interesting intersection. I was keen to now dig into a little bit more about neurology. So obviously you've talked about where your interest comes from, you know, from that mm -hmm. first family moment. And what I'm, I know that you've kind of experienced working in a research capacity at the neuroimmunology labs at John Hopkins. How did you find that experience? So when my grandmother had her stroke, um, sophomore, junior year of high school, um, mm -hmm. I took uh, AP psychology in my high school and I had a wonderful teacher AP psych teacher um, and so obviously it was more heavy on the psychology aspect of things but we also had a neuroscience unit right so mm, during that awesome. time um, you know I was learning a lot about the brain um, 
about all these uh, disorders, conditions, but also mental health disorders as well. And, you know, one of the conditions that I came across was schizophrenia. And um, mm -hmm. I thought it was just so fascinating because there's uh, no, no cure, first of all, um, no effective mm -hmm. treatment, um, per mm -hmm. se. I mean, there's different things that are being trialed right now, but no kind of, you know, golden standard treatment, I would say. So um, I was kind of keen to explore that a little bit more um, through research or just working in a more clinical setting later on in college. Mm -hmm. So sure. going to Johns Hopkins, um, I reached out to um, researchers and labs that have somewhat of a schizophrenia uh, you know, focus. They might be focusing on other things too, but, um, and I came across the Snyder lab at the Hopkins, at Hopkins, and one of the postdocs um, that I ended up reaching out to actually wasn't focused on schizophrenia. She, he was mm -hmm. actually focused on multiple sclerosis, um, which mm -hmm. is on your immunological disorder. Um, and, you know, he, he just asked, he was just telling me that, hey, I, I don't focus on schizophrenia. And I know some people do in the lab, but if you're interested in MS, mm -hmm. um, feel free to just come in and talk with me and we can maybe kind of arrange something. Um, and at that point, I've never heard about MS, right? I, yeah, nobody in my yeah, family yeah. or my close ones have been affected by that condition. Mm. And so I was like, should I just continue like pushing forward with finding mm. like a, a PI who focuses on schizophrenia or like something very similar? Um, but, you know, I was a first year, I kind of was just um, curious about all different things, different things, yeah. right? So open mind um, yeah. and different conditions, because um, I still wanted to explore what's out there for me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and I sat down with him, um, my mentor, Dr. Kornberg, that's his name. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I sat down with him. He was the nicest guy. Um, I was a little intimidated coming in because I've never really worked in a in a research setting uh, where I was yeah. given a lot of responsibilities and things like that. So yeah, uh, I wasn't sure how he would kind of perceive me initially because I was such a, I was so young. Um, mm -hmm. I was very naive. I was mm -hmm. inknowledgeable in many mm -hmm. aspects of science, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't even know what MS was. So I was like kind of... Yeah will he even like take me in in the long term yeah, yeah, yeah. of course yeah, he, yeah but you know you'll see that um and i'm sure you experience the same thing too but you know mm. as a, a fresh undergraduate student um coming from high school professors and pis understand that you know you don't know anything pretty much and so you know dr kornberg he was and i call him michael so i'm just going to call him michael from now on but uh michael mm. was just very um he was just very sweet about it. And so mm -hmm. he was telling me about how, you know, I, he's had or mentored other undergraduate students and, you know, I was, they were in the same boat as me. And so that, mm -hmm. that kind of comforted me a little bit and kind of got me um, uh, closer mm -hmm. with him and also kind of more interested in MS too. And I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of my other, you know, med school classmates can probably say the same thing from their, um, you know, based on their past uh, college career as well. But I think mm -hmm. the mentor that you have, the PI that you have, um, working in a research setting is so important more than the research I would say um, sure. there's probably like like more than anything it's the people that you work with in the end right because if you don't enjoy your work setting or the people mm. that you're collaborating with I think though you know that kind of overpowers the meaningfulness of your work um, mm. your science or whatever um, mm. and I think I was on the more fortunate side to have um, such a great mentor like right away pretty much I've I have friends from college at Hopkins who had to go through or interview through a number of different professors and PIs and kind of had to be patient about who they actually was compatible with because some professors are a little bit more maybe narcissistic, let's say, or yeah. just yeah. less keen to have like an undergraduate who doesn't know as much in their lab, right? Mm -hmm. uh, 
So small things like that, but I, I would say I was on the more fortunate side of having Michael um, as my mm. mentor early on in my freshman uh, freshman year of college, and um, mm. I stayed stayed in lab until um, until graduating. So it was awesome. a really rewarding experience having that four years under my belt, and you know it was all wet lab stuff, right? But mm. um, and I'm probably not going to pursue wet lab basic science research for the long term, but I think yeah. it was a very good way for me to kind of um, get introduced to you know, the mechanistic actions behind, um, you know, some of these conditions like MS. Um, and I think mm. any really, you know, whether you go into global health or, you know, become a physician, like a clinical physician, it's really good to understand how how these diseases are um, working on a molecular and cellular basis as well. So I think um, I was very fortunate to have that experience. Mm, it's awesome to hear. And it sounds like it was very formative for yourself as well. I think was, yeah. this, yeah, this just continues to echo the importance of finding someone who's willing to bat for you, especially in things like academia. And, you know, you've already talked about another mentor as well, and which I'm keen to talk, talk a little bit more about sure. as well. Um, but I think this also signals to me the importance of mentors, especially early on in our careers, because they give us more direction into the, you know, whatever yeah. ambitions and things you want to change in the world. Yeah. So absolutely. I was curious to ask about that more as well. I know, you know, with your work at the World Neurology Foundation, you're interested in neurology and public health, that kind of intersection, I'm sure is interesting to you. But what kind of problems are you currently most curious about and interested in learning more about to help try solve? Mm. So, you know, as someone who is very much interested in the intersection of neurology and global health, um, you know, the main issues that I'm very passionate about is, um, you know, how can we, first of all, bring um, or, or how can we promote really the services um, that are like neurology services that are taking much um, taking for granted here, like let's say in the States, a very much high income country. Um, how can what will what will like the effects be um, if mm -hmm. you had those services available and accessible to everybody pretty much in low and middle income countries? Right. Mm. Will that have like a drastic effect? I'm guessing it would, but I'm sure there's it's a multifactorial kind of, um, of course, yeah. uh, you know, com complexity that you're dealing with. But, um, you know, I, I think I'm very much with the World Neurology Foundation and also my research in global health right now. Um, I'm just very curious about how these resources can really ultimately change the healthcare systems. Um, that are, you know, broken, um, inadequate um, in many of these uh, under-resourced places. Um, and so I'm very much curious about that. But it's also it's also been very challenging in that sense because you're working on a global scale. You're working with global collaborators who have different kind of perspectives, maybe different opinions or different kind of capacities, right? Um, you know, through the foundation, I've, you know, talked and interacted with a number of different people in, you know, Africa, Latin America, and it's just a whole different game there, mm. um, right? Because they're working with very uh, limited number of resources, like some of the most basic medications, right? Or the basic treatment options um, that would be kind of astounding um, for us in high income countries, right? But mm. they still make it work um, mm. in some way or another, right? Mm. Obviously, if we, they have more resources, they can probably treat more people and um, mm. give a better quality of life to their patients. But even mm. still, um, it's just amazing how, you know, these passionate physicians and trainees actually too, um, are able to just make it work for their patients. Um, and mm. I think, you know, that's kind of the beauty of public health and medicine, because, you know, in the end, there will be a way, I, I think, a, mm. a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. Um, and I think, um, you know, the people there, you know, under-resourced regions, 
obviously, like I said, um, they could definitely use more resources and services um, to mm. help their patients. But the compassion and the passion that they have um, for their work and their art is really just admirable in my um, mm. in my perspective. And like I mentioned, in terms of my background, I came from a very privileged suburban um, kind of uh, childhood and background. Mm. And so I really mm. didn't understand that kind of um, a lifestyle until really much really in college. And still, like I haven't been to Africa or uh, mm. many countries in Latin America. And so I still haven't seen much in person um, mm. about what the healthcare system there is like. But, you know, obviously, I would very much like to do that in the near future and far sure, future man. as well. But yeah. um, I definitely had, you know, like, like I mentioned before, I had um, a great mentor, uh, Deanna Saylor, who works actually in person in Zambia, and, you know, talking with her through Zoom and just working with her um, through the foundation has been kind of really eye-opening for me personally. And I'm really fortunate to kind of have the opportunity to work as a program director for the foundation to mm. work directly with African providers or Latin American providers and mm. really get that perspective that I might not, not be able to get um, through like mm. a textbook or through lectures about mm. public health, let's say, right? Mm, um, of course. So, you know, for me personally, you know, throughout my career thus far, that has been like one of the most rewarding and most unique, I think, experiences. Um, and in terms of the foundation, actually, I got introduced to the foundation through just a random Google search um, oh, during COVID. Nice. And I was just, um, I was exploring um, the intersection between neurology and public yeah. health. And, yeah. you know, there was just not much, you know, not many people I could look up to or many organizations yeah. that I was aware about um, that does yeah. that kind of work. And, but I was fortunate to come across the foundation through a Google search and reached out to, um, Harry Becker, who's the executive executive director for our foundation. Mm. And mm. he was, you know, just very open arms about taking me in and um, awesome. really mentoring me through the through the years. And um, I'm really glad to be in kind of this position to be able to um, make some some kind of impact through the foundation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. However, small or big. So, yeah. Yeah. No, very exciting to hear. And maybe a final point in terms of public health. I know I dug in a little bit into your history. Uh, and I know this yeah. might have been a while back, but... How did you find your experience uh, working at World Relief? World Relief, yeah. So I actually um, served as an intern at World Relief Chicago um, uh, after my first year of college and going up into my second year. And, mm. you know, so a little background about what, what World Relief is about. It's a humanitarian organization that um, largely helps and targets um, vulnerable populations, including refugees, asylum seekers, and migrants overall. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was very fortunate to go back to my um, uh, my hometown of Chicago to, you know, serve in their uh, local office and really interact and, um, you know, develop programs, work on the programs that are, you know, being undergone in that um, at World Relief. And mm -hmm. really, I, I think the most rewarding aspect of that internship, inter internship experience was, um, you know, interacting and meeting, you know, refugees and asylum seekers, because mm -hmm. I really never had really any uh, opportunity to do so um mm. kind of learn about their history about their stories what brought them to the states um mm. and kind of what effect has like the the whole um experience in the united states been like right so of course. um mm. uh so yeah for me that experience was definitely um uh, eye-opening in its own mm. way too um mm. it opened my eyes to the suffering that is going around um mm. not only around the world with the refugee crisis but locally too you know every mm. metropolitan big city in the in the states um has a good refugee no, good number of refugees mm. and asylum seekers 
who are awaiting really um, for a better life for themselves and their families and kind of getting that uh, firsthand experience talking with my clients who I was mm. um, helping in terms of developing like self-sufficiency plans and, and yeah, whatnot right. um, mm. has really just kind of, you know, allowed me to reflect upon upon my own childhood and kind of my own upbringing. Mm. Um, mm. And, you know, it, it's it made me it's uh, made me thankful for what I had, but also gave me a you know a bigger sense of purpose um, in terms of my like future public health career as well, because. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, what I want to do as a physician and a public health pr- practitioner is to um, alleviate the suffering that people are undergoing, um, um, enduring really, um, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of their health and, you know, politically mm-hmm. too. Um, so um, I, I think that's also kind of a good point, right? Physicians aren't only limited to medicine and public mm-hmm. health, let's say. Um, there's other things that are affecting their, you know, your patients' lives, um, you know, societally there's like, for example, refugees, they're always kind of in a constant state of fear, maybe, um, Mm. anxiety about what Mm. their future will hold. And Mm. I think, you know, as a, as a physician, you know, I think it's part of your job to kind of dig a little bit deeper into your patient's story so that you can provide the best quality, um, healthcare, um, to Mm. your patient. And so that experience at World Relief kind of introduced me to that aspect, right? It was definitely not um, directly related to medicine per se. It was more public health related, but it still opened my eyes to all the different things that are affecting um, people's lives and ultimately mm. my patients. Um, and so, um, and so, yeah, so I'm glad I'm very fortunate to have that experience as well, because mm. it was also very, it was in person. So it was before COVID mm. and I'm you know, glad to have you know, sitting down with the, with my clients and talking to them and really learning mm-hmm. about their stories. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. It sounds like that experience as well as, you know, all the other things we've talked about from research to World Neurology Foundation have kind of broadened your view into how you see medicine as a holistic specialty, right? It's something yeah, which absolutely. requires not only diagnosing the ailments and treating those ailments currently, but also preventative um, strategies as well as mm-hmm thinking not only about the physical, but the mental and et cetera. And yeah. I think that's what I've really enjoyed talking to you most about in terms of this conversation of how do we solve these public health issues as well as the specific physician ones as well. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much, Andrew, for having this awesome chat. Um, I've got this one final question to wrap up with. It's quite a cheesy one, which is what's the biggest piece of advice you'd give to you know other first year medical students? Yeah, so I'm wrapping up my first year of medical school right now. So, you know, just based on my own personal experience, um, you know, being at Mount Sinai and, you know, being in the Big Apple, um, I, I, you know, the biggest piece of advice that I would give to future and prospective medical students is, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, take a step outside of your comfort zone, because um, in terms of like, don't be secluded um, to only Mm -hmm. medicine. Um, because there's just so many other opportunities and different routes that you can take. Um, and I think medicine will play a big part in that, but, you know, you know, treating patients, um, is, you know, a fantastic aspiration to have. Right. But there's just so many things outside of medicine that can be rewarding for you personally, but also kind of, can really, um, uh, really augment your experience as a physician too. For sure. And so whether that's exploring different fields and trying to maybe intersect it with your medical career, for example, like how I did with public health and global mm-hmm. health, really, um, I, I think, you know, early on in your medical school career is like 
um, you have such a great opportunity to do that, to explore beyond um, your academic requirements and obligations, because, you know, going down um, into third year and fourth year and later on into residency, for example, you're just um, so time constrained and have mm. so many more obligations and responsibilities. So, mm. you know, for first and second year medical students, I really recommend kind of um, exploring things outside of medicine for yourself and also for, you know, the benefit of your future career as well. And I think right. uh, for me, that was exploring further into my public health aspirations and also mm. um, just being in the city. I've also very much been interested in, became more interested in like biotech and that mm. whole industry as well and how um, entrepreneurship and business and um, mm. the private industry really can kind of help with mm. alleviating some of our public health issues um, that mm. are that we face in the States and globally as well. And so, mm. yeah, I would say that is my biggest piece of um, advice and recommendation for future students. But hopefully, mm. um, I mean, hopefully everybody is able to kind of experience that in some way or another, but yeah. Oh yeah, exploring your curiosities and you know, forging that hybrid clinician pathway that fits your specific personality interests the most. Yeah, Makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Andrew, for hopping on the podcast. And oh, awesome thank chatting. you, Kevin. It was a pleasure to be here today. Thanks. <laughs>